Hello and welcome to Groovecast, the podcast for the rhythm section, with me Ashley Walker and me Charlie Smith. And uh, in today's episode we're going to talk about um, something again that we talk about quite a lot and uh, I know I talk about with uh, musician friends and Charlie likewise Um, and it's sort of our favourite concert films slash kind of live albums as well Um, and uh, it's basically just getting straight into it isn't it with uh, some of our favourites so I wonder if you want to start us off with one of yours. Yeah I thought it'd be quite apt to start off with kind of the first one I ever remember watching which was a DVD I was bought probably when I was about three. I can't remember exactly who bought it. I think it was one of my uncles gave me it, but mm. it was um, a DVD of uh, Hank Marvin uh, live at the Birmingham Symphony Hall in 1997 or something. So it's a bit of an obscure one. I don't know how that came to be the choice, but I'm glad it was because it's a, it's a great DVD. And there is a live album that accompanies it, but... Uh, Sadly, and to my annoyance, the live album excludes some of the tracks that were on the DVD, which is a bit uh, of a shame. But that's always annoying. It is a bit. So, but no, it's it's a great DVD, and there's a little uh, guest appearance on there from Cliff Richard, which is always good. Wow. But uh, the the reason I just I've always loved it is just because the the band are great. You yeah. Know, um, you got you know uh, Pete May on drums, who's like veteran session drummer played with cliff richard for years and did loads and loads of west end stuff you got um hank obviously and his son ben marvin on guitars uh mark griffiths on bass who also did the shadows final uh tours and stuff and then warren yeah. bennett on keys who's son of original shadows drummer uh, brian bennett so it's a pretty mm. good setup and yeah some of the sounds and things especially on the on the keyboards are very of the time of that kind of early digital kind of thing but the 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 renditions of the songs are all great because a lot of it's uh, uh, tunes that have like there might be shadows tunes there might be cliff richard tunes there's even a jean-michel jarre tune in there uh and a lot of them have, have been adapted for guitar so some of them have, were vocal numbers and they've become instrumentals and mm. and it's kind of a a nice just nice easy listening sort of album and and dvd to watch but for me it was always just seeing that kind of live concert thing for the first time of you know all the lights and uh all the all the stuff and it looked really great and yeah as a drummer seeing a big drum kit with all loads of symbols and stuff and it always thought that was really cool Um, yeah i think i think it's funny because like i don't it's might be the same for you as a drummer but it's like when i first started bass one of the first sort of videos that i was shown was a shadows the apache thing you know like because it wasn't like that complicated thing to do on bass and it was just one of those things that to get you into it like oh look at this like and like so cool with the matching guitars and stuff on on the that the shadow stuff but yeah totally and it's just it's great tunes and played really well which is what mm. I always liked about it. And I mean, I have distinct memories of when I'd been, you know, four and five year old and setting my little drum kit up at the time in front of the telly and putting the, the DVD on and trying to, yeah. you know, play along a little bit, you know, completely just out of fun. But that was 
you know, that's one of my earliest playing memories is, is doing mm-hmm. that at my grandparents or wherever and and that was what was on. And it was it was only years later, uh, you know, e- of still liking it and going back to it that I realised how great the players, especially Pete May are on there, um, who's uh, sadly no longer with us, but uh, what a drummer he was. He just such a great feel. And mm. I mean, he did years and years and years with Cliff Richard and, and I think he played on Wicked for a long time really? in London. But yeah, just putting his own spin on some of the original stuff and there's just some really cool little ideas that are in there which I've definitely um, stolen and taken inspiration <laughs> from over the years and put into things just because they're just kind of cool and I've always kind of been a bit of a fan of of that so so yeah mm. I think that would definitely have to be my first pick just because of almost the sentimental value in it a little bit that it's just always been seems like i've always had it i've always always been listening and watching that that particular yeah. film yeah it's quite good like it wasn't on because i know f- for our prep for this if you can call it that um we uh or certainly i didn't make as much of a top um like in the past when we've done the top three and top five lists um because some of these things you can talk about as in depth as you want to get uh, and some of them it's just like you said sentimental value and maybe the first one you've ever seen but one that wasn't on my list but you have just reminded me is that um great the, the last shadows uh, tour which for ages was on like the tv and you could watch it um yeah and that was that was definitely a great one as well wasn't it? yeah that's that's a great great little album and great great dvd as well yeah uh, i seem to remember on that particular one that you just mentioned there's a great version of little b which is brian bennett's solo where he just does about nine minutes but it's just so great yeah and it's one of those dr- you know drum solos can be so boring for non-drummers as much as for drummers but <laughs> that one i just could never get tired of because he just makes it really really interesting and it's musical and it flows well yeah they're like a musical band but they also aren't afraid to do the the sort of the, like those classic shadow dances and uh yeah <laughs> can you can you do the dance like can you do it <laughs> yeah two steps <laughs> forward three steps back that's the one <laughs> yeah i just remember as well like w- when first learning bass and then joining for the, like that uh the bosnese jazz orchestra that we talked about in an episode and um like there the, the band leader there saying oh, like oh the horns we're all doing a dance and stuff and he's like ash could you guys know like the shadows dance can you and the guitars do that dance I didn't Next gig I song. do with you, I'm making you do that. You do. Know oh this. yeah, <laughs> well I try and work it into every gig I do, but oh, I good, can't quite good. pull it off. But <laughs> um, yeah, so my sort of top one or the first one that came to mind, which I know it did for you as well, was the Billy Joel live at uh, Shea Stadium. Um, I mean that DVD is excellent, and there is a live album as well, with uh, which again I think on the live album, I'm not sure. I don't think all of the tracks are on it um because i know on uh on the dvd which i got bought as a present which tends to happen with these like the top favorite live concert dvds are usually ones that have been given as presents or later on um but yeah on on the uh, dvd there's like bonus tracks with i think roger daltrey comes on and does my generation and um uh and i think john may is on the original concert but like garth brooks and there's a few that aren't uh, John Mellencamp, I think, on the bonus one. And, um, yeah, I don't think they're included on the live album, which is a shame. 
um but yeah that's just it's one of those classic concert dvds which i think every musician at one point or another is like seen or heard of um yeah and obviously the classic thing of mccartney uh, paul, paul mccartney getting flown in to do the like come and do the last yeah. few songs funnily enough that's what in weirdly that's what introduced me to that video was the paul mccartney thing yeah before that i hadn't I, I knew of it but i'd never took the time to listen and i'd always quite liked a lot of billy joel stuff so when i did finally get round to watching it it was <laughs> it was great but yeah that was it was the mccartney thing is what if you like joined the dots for me to what actually actually put it on and 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 get hold of the copy so yeah, yeah. but that is it's just a great dvd and again you know what a band mm. oh yeah it's, it's and i think he's still he's one of those guys similar to paul mccartney the billy joel where he's kind of used a lot of the same guys for years and years i know um he's had like the same md for about 20 30 years and um yeah the yeah great fantastic band although i think that was one of the first uh, dvds where he didn't have uh or the first concerts where he didn't have Liberty uh, DeVito on drums, which uh, yeah, caused a bit of controversy. But yeah, that's always going to cause a bit of a, uh, a rift. But yeah, I think those two had their uh, their ups and downs together. Yeah, but yeah, like you say, what a band! And um, I know one of the favourite tracks from that one, which um, was a tune he did with uh, Freddie Hubbard, I think originally Zanzibar. And when he does it live now, he has the fantastic Carl Fisher on trumpet and just knocks it out of the park on every concert and like he never plays it quite the same the the trumpet solo on that um and then in his band as well it's like similar to actually a couple of other people i was going to mention on this one um on this episode in like in billy joel's band if you especially if you're one of the horn players you have to play like three different instruments like carl fisher has to play trumpet obviously flugel trombone saxophone <laughs> clap hap, uh, hand claps <laughs> um oh yeah they're the, they're the hardest <laughs> one then yeah but yeah what a band and just some of the musicians like i mentioned before roger daltrey but then he has like tony bennett coming on and doing new york state of mine um which is just great because like i, I was into billy joel before this and then because my dad got me into him and then i think he was the one who said oh, i think there is this like i've heard this about this concert he did at shea stadium and blah 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 and then I just got so into that live album that I forgot what New York State of Mind actually was like, like the actual original version of it, because they sing it so differently live. But it's just so great, him and Tony Bennett, and yeah, and then McCartney coming on doing Sora standing there and uh, finishing with Let It Be, which just says it all about Billy Joel how humble he is. He just lets McCartney like finish it off with Let It yeah. Be. Just, yeah. just do it because I mean, it kind of brings us on to to another another bit you know for me another early one i saw was the beatles at shea stadium mm. again that was a dvd that had probably been kicking around at least with one of my grandparents for years <laughs> and that i always remember seeing and again it was just like you know in the days before big pas and when it was literally the, the band were being put through the tannoy system at at, at, at shea stadium and yeah. that i think for mccartney at the end there brought it kind of full circle after doing mm. the the, the, doing the the first, I think it was at the time it was the biggest concert ever played by yeah. anyone, at least yeah. in a, in a stadium at least. So it was something like fifty five thousand people, I think, mm. just off the top of my head. But it was a lot of people, and you know, 
that Shea Stadium DVD, you've got girls fainting and police are all over the place and yeah. just them being driven out to the stage in a car. Yeah. You know, it's like they couldn't, they didn't just walk to the stage, they were driven there in some Cadillac, you know, yeah. big American thing over the grass. It's just like, it's completely, you know, you wouldn't have that nowadays, but it was just really cool to, to see. And, and yeah, for, for the Billy Joel thing, it was just, that was the, I think it was the final concert at, at, at the original show, I think, before it got uh, bulldozed. Yeah, I think as well, people might know, especially people who've heard that album and, and know of that concert, that will know that the guy that um, drove them out in that car then was the guy who drove McCartney out in the uh, in like the golf buggy to, to the stage, um, which was yeah. like just so perfectly done. Yeah, it's such a clever idea as well, you know, just to, for someone to think, oh, let's try and track this guy down and yeah. get him to come back and do it. This groundskeeper or whoever it was from yeah. 50 years before. <laughs> yeah. Who'd and, done, um, been there. Yeah. And I think um, yeah. as well, I know I know in one interview, cause, and in his book as well, or his biography, Billy Joel said that um, because originally it was only meant to be one night at Shea Stadium, which is when he asked McCartney the first time if he could do it. And then uh, they found out that there were a load of scalpers and people getting ripped off with the tickets. So they decided to put a second night in so that more actual fans could see it, which then caused a lot of controversy because the people that thought they'd got the last night at Shea ended up having the second to last night. Um, so then that's when McCartney ended up being able to do it because he could do the second night, but obviously had to get flown out and the police escort and all that stuff, which if you haven't seen the, it's, you don't have to see the DVD to hear about that. They, you can watch those videos on YouTube, them McCartney and Billy Joel and stuff talking about it. It's like one of the best rock and roll stories, I think. Yeah, just the, the, the way it all panned out was amazing. And, and, and they just somehow managed to, to make the impossible happen yeah of getting him in and to the venue before the end of the, the concert yeah you know never mind on stage but yeah mm. it was like something like from jfk to shea stadium in 11 minutes with a police escort it was something <laughs> stupid like yeah. that <laughs> and it was just but yeah the, the, the video of that's so worth checking out um mm. And yeah, it kind of leads me on quite well to my next pick, which is uh, Paul McCartney, funnily enough, at <laughs> um, the City Field Stadium a in yeah. New York, which is what was built as the kind of replacement for Shea. So from mm. Billy Joel doing the last concert, Paul McCartney did the first concert at the new City Field Stadium, I believe. So yeah, he kind of opened that one up. And I think that was around 2010-ish. Yeah, like that. I think... I think as well he had Billy Joel came on and did a couple of songs with him on that concert as well. Yeah, I on, think he uh, did, which is yeah. uh, which is kind of cool. Uh, you know, repaying the favour and all of that. So, um, yeah, uh, but that's, again, a great concert. And as you say, I mean, McCartney's had his bands for 25 years or something now. So it was, by then, they, they were just such a tight unit and... Um, the set list's just full of the hits. Yeah. You know, and it just goes so deep into the back catalogue that there's just so much great stuff on there. But the thing that kind of, and again, I know we spoke about this a little bit beforehand, the things that hold a certain memory, and that McCartney gig at Cityfield does, because I saw him on that tour. 
I yeah. saw him a couple of dates later when he was doing um, the Millennium Stadium in Cardiff, which was yeah, that been twenty ten June time. So, mm. uh, and that you know, I think he probably did exactly the same set list. I think the only thing he added for for the the Cardiff gig was I think someone had held a sign up asking him to play uh, Ramon from the the Ram album mm. that he did, um, which he never had. I don't think he'd ever played it live, or certainly hadn't since the Wings days. And he just did a little two-second rendition of it, just him and guitar, which I think was the only addition to the set list when they did Cardiff. <laughs> but that was it was just an amazing gig. And I mean, there's nothing that can kind of prepare you for seeing someone like Paul McCartney doing doing a show. It's just no. it's almost on another level from most other great musicians because he just you know he can command a stage and mm. you know he's going from playing guitar bass ukulele piano seamlessly um and then setting off all of the world's pyro on live and let die which is quite <laughs> quite the experience when you're in the stadium yeah. and i think yeah literally firing fireworks out of the roof of uh, of the millennium stadium which was pretty cool yeah yeah it's um like you say i mean he is just one of those people that so many like musicians like me who haven't seen him it's just a bucket list thing um but just those guys that you idolize and look up to so much like mccartney and for like me billy joel and like james taylor and those guys like you say although i haven't seen him it's like kind of the same scene billy joel and these people it's just you can't explain enough the feeling of actually being there watching him live and and play and because like with McCartney like with him do having done Glastonbury recently and stuff you kind of know like what the songs are going to sound like and you've seen him like you said with the City Field thing he played probably the same set list but it's still just a totally different experience actually watching him at in the stadium live a totally different energy and everything oh totally and I know we've spoken at length on Groovecast before about the other time I saw Paul McCartney much more recently, so I won't go into that. But <laughs> he is—he's just one of those artists who always delivers in concert. You know, he's, yeah. you never see a bad McCartney gig; it just no. doesn't happen. No, you know, and he when never seems to have a night off. No, and when you um, like I've I've seen a few of these things on um, YouTube, like fails, live fails, and stuff, and like you see ones of other artists, and it might be a bit like a cringeworthy thing or. And like there's ones of McCartney and they're just like even in those things like they're either not mistakes really to like actual musicians they don't they're not proper mistakes they're just little things he's done differently but it's like even in those moments he just is still so cool and just like like he says all the time it's like at least it proves that we're playing live because there are yeah. a lot of people that don't play live oh for sure and you know it's just it gives the audience in that sense, always a little bit of an Easter egg of something that they've, that, you know, it's not just they're going there and watching someone singing to backing tracks or even worse, miming to tracks. Yeah. Which some artists definitely do. Um, <laughs> but it's, it you know, you, you definitely get that full experience. And I think with McCartney, I was reading an interview recently about the song that he wrote for John Lennon uh, after he died uh, here today about this yeah. kind of imaginary conversation. And he said, at least once a tour he breaks down while he sings it he just can't help himself yeah. it just catches him and he says it's like 
he just knows if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. He can't be embarrassed or anything by it. He's just got to sort of ride it out. But he said every time, at least once or twice a tour, it'll just catch him. Mm. And that's kind of, it's just kind of the human element of it that he is, you know, like all of us, just human. And sometimes you do get, you know, something can just catch you or choke you up a little bit. And yeah, just he, he isn't at all phased by it, which is kind of... Uh, kind of nice well it's the same with um like he is just a musician like all of us with and you can tell that with when he does blackbird live and um like i've seen things of that where he's made little mistakes or forgot the words and he's the first one to say that wasn't right or and i think on that uh the grand central uh the station concert where he's stood in the middle of the audience and he's like got meryl streep stood there and i think like tom hanks and all these guys and he says afterward and he made a mistake on that one a couple of times but it's like it's just fine like and the fact that he just sort of he wants to do it right and afterwards he just said i'm really nervous you know just he's not afraid like you say to show his emotions or uh he is just a normal guy um but I think that uh, that's uh, quite a good way to sort of lead on because I know one of the things uh, you were talking about uh, while uh, thinking of this episode when we were thinking of the ideas for this was how um, like that City Field concert is one of the top McCartney ones for you and it was perfect perfect because you saw him on that same tour and um, I know we've talked about at length on Groovecast uh, my favourite band Wolfpack and um which i wasn't gonna i weren't gonna mention uh wasn't gonna mention their um them in this episode but you twisted my arm <laughs> um i'm not gonna mention them in this episode believed absolutely no one <laughs> um but i think what's perfect about that is um well one thing that it it's worked out that because we saw them as i've said many times in uh in denver at red rocks and then it was the same year that they then did Madison Square Garden, which they've put their div- like done the video, and it's like one of their most viewed things now, I think. Um, but it also is quite good because, like what you were saying about um, with McCartney, and when you see sort of when they do make mistakes on gigs, it's like you're seeing something that other people haven't seen. And on that Red Rocks gig, um, the tune that like everyone was waiting for, Dean Town, they're big thing at the end they always finish with that um joe dart's bass died like in the intro of it because he was uh, using a wireless pack and i think the pack went out so um it just like they but they just carried on playing while the techie came on and sorted him out and like got him wired up and everything and like to some to some people might have stopped or it been awkward but they just like laughed it off and then um when he came back in with his like uh, plugged in and everything he just gave it like gave it really gave it some stick and just like <laughs> played he played it totally different as well because he was just i think he was trying possibly a bit embarrassed but although it's a bit hard to believe because they're just all so cool um but yeah like what you were saying about seeing something different because afterwards we like played the video to people we recorded it like getting ready, oh look here's dean town and everything then it goes wrong and like everybody's like oh we love that though like because also it just made the song longer, so we got to see a bit of a longer version of it. <laughs> there you go, little victory. <laughs> but yeah, that was um, that's how it worked out. So we saw them at Red Rocks, which was like where I wanted to see them. Because another, although I don't think it's a concert DVD, which is why I didn't include it. But 
there was a video for years on YouTube, a concert uh, thing on YouTube of them playing Red Rocks about five years ago now, I think, which was what um, got me into them as a band. Um, but that's an equally brilliant one. But yeah, the famous one for them is uh, that same year they then went and did Madison Square Garden, which we were like and that close to going and seeing as well because we just wanted because it was uh, Wolfpack, I think the 28th of December, of uh, September, sorry. And then the 29th of September, which would have been like my birthday present, was Billy Joel the next night at Madison Square Garden. It's like, oh, we've got to go, we've got to go. And somehow we got talked out of it, which uh, I won't mention the people that talked us out of it because they know who they are. Um, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> Shamed them enough. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I only bring it up like every other day. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that, well, that's, that's, um, that's... I think that's fair game. <laughs> But yeah, the Madison Square Garden thing, if you haven't, it's on YouTube and uh, the album as well, they've, they've released that and it's just, it's such a great concert. They've got so many different um, musicians coming on and off and just like they are Wolfpack, like no concert is the same and like the arrangements that they do and then I think on the Madison Square Garden gig, they had it decked out with like vintage carpets on the floor. And then they just had it randomly like a sort of house set, like a sitcom, like this set up like it was a house. And then so Nate Smith came on and played a tune. And then after he was done, he just went and like sat on the sofa and watched it like everybody else. <laughs> and um, and then like Jack Stratton, like the leader comes out in the middle of it and some just brought his mum on stage and <laughs> like to share the moment. But the thing as well that I just love about that concert is you can just tell how happy and kind of overwhelmed they are to, to be playing madison square garden from like where they were like 10 years ago or when they started out playing small clubs and working their way up to play madison square garden and then like in no way sort of proud or too proud to sort of admit how the how you know ecstatic they are to be there but yeah that's my uh, wolfpeck uh, yeah. mention for this season they won't be mentioned again this season yeah <laughs> really <laughs> I bet you're not going to commit to that uh, no they might even get another mention this episode um, <laughs> well yeah. speaking of the unmentioned uh, I, supp I suppose it should uh, I should follow your lead and bring up Rush for the first time this season yeah. uh, because why not because um, uh, they, they had to be on my list somewhere and um, and they are and the, the the again the concert that made the cut was the the one of the same tour that I went and saw because it just it it was as much as it was the you know I've seen them a couple of times but that was the tour that I think really started it for me where I was already a fan but I became a bit more of a a you know real fan after hearing that tour and and I keep coming back to it but um and it was rush on the time machine tour in again around 2010 2011 time uh when that was put out and just again a great set list and you know going from kind of your mccartney's and your billy joel's and stuff where they've got a big setup this is just three guys on a stage and they're making mm. it making the, all the sound just the three of them which is kind of just equally as commendable if you know what i mean so yeah um yeah that's that there's some some absolute gems in that set list of you know they played the the moving pictures album which was probably their most successful 
or, or most commercial album, which was about 1981 time. Uh, they played that album in its entirety um, at the start of the second set. So the second <laughs> set opened with that whole album played through, which was pretty cool. Um, and I think it was the first time they'd ever done a couple of the tracks live because it was mm. just when they were written, they were never intended to be played live because technology just wasn't there to to make them work, you know, mm. with overdubs and things. But finally, they could make it happen with with different different things. So yeah, it was kind of great to hear that. Um, and you know, again, it's great to see a band that doesn't take themselves too seriously. All of the the sort of the opening and intro films that they were using were all kind of just completely. C- comedy done for laughs sending themselves up and yeah. um, I think the intro to, to, to one of the songs was uh, they used their mates in, uh, from South Park <laughs> they were they're friends with Matt Stone and they got him to do a little animation to introduce one of the songs and you know all that kind of stuff was, was great to see and, and just just a really well put together concert and in kind of stark contrast to how you would see kind of Wolfpack with different arrangements and stuff. Everything pretty much, other than a few little changes, was per the originals. You know, they just wanted to keep things as as they did it because they were happy with that, which I kind of respect. You know, being able to turn around and go, you know what, 30 years on, we're still happy with how that sounds. We're not going to change the sounds or we're not going to mm. mess around with it in any way, which is kind of cool. Um, of course, it did have a Neil Peart drum solo in there. Wouldn't be a Rush concert without one. <laughs> And that's for me was <laughs> eleven minutes of absolute pure bliss, um, and but yeah, it's just again a really great concert and kind of on the same note of what we were saying with uh, with your uh, about you know little things that happen. If you go on YouTube and find the the videos of a couple of times that tour, Alex Lifeson's guitar gear uh, went down. I think the, <laughs> some of the pyros were causing some of his amps to blow up now and again which was quite amusing um and they did i think it was in somewhere in the states it might have been boston they um his guitar gear blew at the start of the encore so they just ended up jamming around drums and bass and he was just riffing on vocals while they were swapping his gear around uh and basically just making jokes and you know, um, singing "Still No Guitar" over and over again, which is just, you know, I anyone can just watch that and just see how in the moment it is that they're just, you know, there's no plan. They're just going round and just trying to bring it back, and then yeah. as soon as it's working, he just launches into the into the song, which is a seven-minute <laughs> instrumental or something, which was just nuts. But it it was it was so great to see, um, mm. and it was just, you know. And that's the kind of thing you see after the thing. And there's also a picture, a, a video from that tour of a of a different gig where I think Neil Peart had blown the head on his on one of his toms. So he does half a song with no no tom tom in front of him and just works around it and you know all <laughs> constantly adapting and his his text coming on and fi- you know putting and putting it back and and working around. It's just so cool to see. Um, yeah. But that was all on that same tour that I, w- which was the first time I saw them. Um, yeah, sadly when I when I saw them there was uh, there was no interesting stuff going on. It was just uh, <laughs> the show went very well, but it was it yeah. was a great gig and I was I was so glad to have to have seen it. Um, and 
you know, there's a great DVD as well that came out of the of the concert, and also a, a, an extra sort of DVD of um, kind of an instructional DVD from Neil Peart's point of view of preparing for a tour and how it all goes on, and you know, putting drum parts and things together, and that's kind of really fascinating viewing as well if you're of the drumming sort, which was mm. called taking centre stage and. And there was even some transcriptions that got done of of those of those songs, which is, have been for me so good to work through and you know really challenge yourself with uh, yeah. drumming wise, which was which was really cool. So that's that's kind of a, a another another great one that that was on my list. Yeah, yeah, and all that like the instructional stuff and all that is just so invaluable as well to uh, so like people like you and myself and. Well, I know, especially you, because uh, you're such a big uh, Rush, Rush fan, and yeah, Neil you, you'd fan. never know, would you? You would <laughs> never know. And uh, yeah, so for the next sort of um, concert film, I think it's it's a band that we may have talked about uh, before on uh, on the podcast. Um, one of our favourites, Toto, um, and th- there's like a, been a couple of really cool. Uh, concert films that they've done, I know uh, that we've probably both watched, like um, the uh, like the, the was it the twenty fifth anniversary one they did where they had um, uh, Bobby uh, Kimball and and everything, and then they had the Fallen in Between one with Lee Sklar on bass, which I'm you might I'm, I imagine you might mention in the in what's to come next. Um, but the one that I sort of went for was the thirty uh, fifth anniversary one. Um, just because, similarly with uh, your first one with um, the Hank Marvin one, it's like the first uh, concert film of Toto I think I saw, because um, it's all on YouTube and everything, um, and I think that was the lineup with Joseph Williams on lead vocals, and you had Nathan East on bass, uh, Amy Keys on uh, backing vocals, which I loved because she did a lot of uh, Phil Collins stuff and. Just a great backing vocalist, obviously. Steve Lukather, uh, Steve Picaro, I think, was on it, um, and David Page, and then obviously your your good friend Simon Phillips on Indeed. drums as well. Um, yeah, no, what a what a lineup that is, um, and again, a band that, that for as, as much as they're very serious about their music, have their little moments now and again on stage, uh, and I would I, yeah. again just before you dive into this totally. Um, there was a great Simon Phillips interview of the last couple of years where he was on about um, doing, uh, you know, when they come back off a, a little tour break, they have a little rehearsal, but they never rehearse Africa. They never rehearse uh, Hold the Line and they never rehearse Rosanna. Uh, and on one <laughs> leg of one, the first gig back after a little break somewhere, they were playing Rosanna. And I think Steve Lucas had got a bit uh, lost in his solo at the end turn around to Simon Phillips ask, asking where they were and Simon was just like no idea <laughs> completely lost <laughs> I think it was when Lee Sklar was in the band because they all they both looked at him and were like do you know where we are he was like no <laughs> uh, and apparently um, he just went Simon Phillips just went for it and a 16th note before the downbeat they all got the same ending because they'd done it so wow. many times in so many different ways over the years they all they didn't know which way they were going to do it They'd completely forgotten what the most yeah. up-to-date ending was. <laughs> yeah. But it's just like, yeah, even I, stories um, like that, it's just I so think that's great. One... 
Yeah, and I like on all those different, uh, like the live albums and stuff that you can listen to of the Toto stuff. I think, like that's that that ending of Rosanna is like almost always different, isn't it? Other than I think, on I think on the Falling in Between one and I think the thirty fifth anniversary one, I think they're very similar. But um, yeah, it's never quite the same. No, is it? they always try and change it up a little bit. I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just the the reason why I went for the this um, uh, the Poland one is just Toto's one of those bands for me, where like, especially with the lineup with like Simon Phillips and Steve Lukather and David Page, it's like when I watch Steve Lukather play guitar, especially on that concert, it just makes me want to be able to play guitar like that. And they're just one of these bands where they know they're like kind of rock stars or they like really play it up and like in the endings of songs getting the audience to like where they do the thing where they shout and then get the audience to shout back and milk every ending and um but on that poland one um you've got the intro is just so one of my favorite concert intros where you've got steve luke the behind the sort of sheet where you've got his silhouette projected onto the screen he's uh, i think they start with Oh, there you go. Well done. I think that's what it's called. I could be wrong. <laughs> little, uh, <laughs> we hope so. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I think uh, they start with "On the Run" uh, with that great uh, guitar riff, and then um, and then it goes into "Child's Anthem," and I think like they kind of mix in a couple of their other tunes in it, and it's but it's just such a great intro. Um, yeah, it's just and yeah, just such a typical Toto like intro. Um, and then I just love the the hold the line on that um, on that concert where you've got Amy Keys and Joseph Williams kind of doing it as a duet, um, and uh, yeah, and Rosanna like when it gets into that jam section and you've just got Nathan East just laying it down, and then um, in uh, Africa on that concert you've got Nathan East doing the thing that he does with um, Eric Clapton where he he ends up singing a little bit and like playing the like singing what he's playing on the bass and getting the audience to sing and yeah so that's cool. that's one of my favorite toto concerts yeah i think I, i'm totally with you on that i mean as you say there's so many ones to, to choose from with with toto and to be honest with a lot of the the bands and the artists we've mentioned i think there's probably at least two yeah. or three we could have picked for each had we had the time to go in really mm. in depth with them but but yeah that there's definitely you know just all the revolving players they've had in that band who've just been so good you know whether it's dave pitch yeah or, and then i think they did on one of them greg Fillingains is on piano as well uh and he's he's mm. playing great you know lee sklar as we said nathan east simon phillips um mike Picaro when he's on them there's some great stuff with with mike yeah. on it and just but yeah it's uh it's just so good um and yeah definitely yeah i'm definitely for that choice and then sort of our one of our last uh well probably our last pick on this thing is um one that i know again uh when thinking about this episode it was one that sprung to mind straight away uh with both of us um and it's that uh the genesis one in rome um concert dvd and i think there's like two dvds because there's the one there's one on youtube that i watch quite a lot where it's um uh, all the behind the scenes and everything Come and then rain you've got or shine, the actual concert in Rome that. yeah yeah. I think they got a lot of rain on and that then, too uh, <laughs> yeah um, 
yeah, and then the actual when in Rome thing in front of five hundred thousand people. It's just unbelievable. Um, but what a concert that is. Yeah, and it's interesting as well what they mm. did with the live album for that, in that the live album all of the tracks are from different concerts. You know, they're not all from the the Rome yeah. concert. They sort of, I think they recorded pretty much every gig, or at least they recorded a fair few gigs, and picked the best ones of each for for the the album at least, and then yeah. left the left the DVD to purely be the Rome concert, which was ki- kind of cool. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, just again, just beautiful, beautiful work, and still as well when Phil was able to play, which on the last genesis con uh tour obviously he didn't um and hasn't for a long time and also great to see chester thompson on there which again chester's just one of my favorite players i, I think he's just got a great feel and a great sound especially for that kind of style of stuff. yeah yeah i think it says a lot about the the uh the caliber of you know chester thompson and daryl Sturmer, um who both did uh the, like the touring lineup of Genesis for, I think since like the late seventies when Phil eventually sort of became the singer. I think they kind of been doing it since then. It just says all you need to know about them really because they always ask those two back and it's like that was the difference this time round with Genesis is that I think Nick Collins had more of the the Phil he sounded like young Phil Collins on drums whereas Chester Thompson like. Um, you know he puts his own sound and does kind of his own thing with it and it's it's like still excellent well it's just unbelievable and and um just great to hear sort of his take on it and obviously you know that they love that the guys in genesis loved it as well otherwise they wouldn't have asked him um yeah and yeah. same with the uh, with daryl Sturmer as well playing the, the guitar some of those guitar lines that um i think it was steve hackett uh, would have done originally with genesis the- and uh, Daryl Sturmer did his own thing. Yeah, the Firth of Fifth solo that Daryl's version of it is just beautiful. Because that is the classic Steve Hackett mm. solo, but Daryl's a, a damn good version of it. And and again, he isn't afraid to, to take it his own yeah. place now and again. You know, he keeps very true to what was done, but still has his little moments here and there. And it, yeah, as, I mean, as I think we've said yeah. before, I can't remember if it was on the podcast or not, but um, it would have been great on that last tour to see chester thompson and nick collins doing it but you know it, that would have just been mm. i think mitt took it one step further where it was but um but yeah the, the when in rome thing i think for me is the is is the favorite genesis live gig because it's just it has it all you know it's got the, the a great set list a great band a great crowd which i think for a live album always helps you know it's it's kind of it's all about yeah. the crowd as well as it's about the band and it just everything mm. fits in so well. Um, you get the classic bit of um, Phil Collins tambourine tossing during um, "I Know What I Like," <laughs> which is always great to watch. And it's one of the few times where he really does yeah. become a bit of a showman on on the Genesis gig, because uh, for the most of that, he's just singing the songs and maybe you know not not too much running around like he would on his solo shows at the time, but. It was it was yeah. it was good to see a little bit of that at least. Um, but as we've said before, with Genesis, it's all about the music. Yeah. And um, you know as well, like I think, 
I think it's uh, Tony Banks was the one who said it, especially like from even their early touring days, they always had a good lighting rig. And then as uh, the um, technology got more advanced, they then had all the screens and everything. And because, like he said, after especially after Peter Gabriel left, they weren't a visual band. It's like, you know, Tony Banks, you know, is just going to sit there playing the piano and not really looking up. I mean, Mike Rutherford, you know, looks like he's always sort of happy to be there. <laughs> and um, and you've got Phil Collins there, like, singing everything. But it, they've never been a visual band, so, like, just by themselves. So... And on that When in Rome concert, just the lights and um, like I think in the intro, especially and in like stuff like Mama, they always have the great you know, like the the fog kind of uh, descending and um, and it was the same on the the last tour that they did that I know uh, both of us had the chance to see, um, just the visual stuff, and I think as well um, something that like it reminded me of because when we went to see them on this last tour, it just I forgot how good sort of Phil Collins is on the mic and just he's just you just know he's so even though he never wanted to be the lead singer he's just such a natural front man in his talking and he's just so comfortable on the mic and um, very funny and uh, and on that concert I think he's the same so yeah what a what a great yeah. concert so and you know again mm. it seems to have been a little bit of a theme for this episode but it's got a drum solo in it or a duet rather in this case yeah, uh, which is which is again great to see, and just I love the approach to that of doing it with um, conversations with two stools. It's a really clever little idea of doing it on the on the bar stool and then moving to the kits. It's just such yeah. a, such a good thought of how they built it, and yeah, just great to hear, especially those two going for it and just really getting as much out of of it as you could because you know with two drummers in a band it can always be a bit of a competition but I think with those two it's, it was all about listening and they were always trying to pick mm. up what each other was doing and work with it and bounce off it a bit which is kind of the best way to do any sort of gig like that yeah and you've, you've absolutely got to watch the um, Come Rain or Shine uh, documentary film as well which is on YouTube and I think on a few platforms but like what we just talked about there with the stools and stuff you see a lot of behind the scenes and the rehearsal process and everything and which is something that really interests me with that band especially and, and a lot of those prog rock kind of bands is how they go through rehearsing those like songs that some of them like over 10 minutes long 15 minutes long um but yeah what a that's just a great documentary as well that kind of accompanies sure, it. it's one of my favorites mm um yeah so i think that's uh that about brings us to the end of this uh episode of groovecast um i think it'd be interesting to see um if people would comment and sort of message maybe some of their favorite concert films and maybe stuff that the we haven't seen ourselves that could be cool yeah spread a bit um, of uh spread some new ideas some new uh some new options for, for good listening material because i think we're always looking for it of the yeah. next thing to watch or the next thing to, to listen to when we have a bit of sp- bit of spare time, but yeah, it's just it's just it's a really great way to enjoy a band, you know. As much as seeing them in concert will always be the pinnacle of it, seeing a good live concert DVD or a good um, a good video or a, a good even just a good recording is always a great way to uh, to spend a bit of time. Yeah. 
yeah definitely so uh, we hope you've enjoyed uh, this episode of Groovecast and uh, we'll see you next time